the myth turns. Because mythology is the greatest soap opera of all time. With your cultural interns, Eris. And Z. Interns, because we're not professionals. And we're not getting paid. Hey guys, it's Eris. Uh, I'm flying solo this episode. We... We're still in social distancing. We're not exactly in quarantine, but you know, I think a lot of you are in the same boat as their states are opening up, um, which, uh, you know, for the record, not the greatest idea, but I guess that's what we're doing because of the country we live in. So anyway, so this episode's a little going to be a little bit different. Um, like I said, I, I am flying solo and I am, uh, obviously I have no one to bounce, uh, ideas or dumb jokes off of. So I'm talking about something that I know uh, very well <laughs> and, uh, it is, uh, The Legend of Zelda. So... The Legend of Zelda, it's a series of games. Um, the very first one, just the actual, The Legend of Zelda came out in 1986 in Japan. Um, and then it wasn't until 1987 that it was actually brought over into America. And The Legend of The Legend of Zelda actually starts off relatively simple. Like inside the canon mythos, it was hard to say, like, I'm obviously I'm not a Nintendo executive or anything like that or Shigeru Miyamoto, but like... You can see as you look at the games the evolution of their legend. And in the first one, um, the legend is relatively simple. It is there is the Demon King Ganon, had his hands on a magical object. He goes to Hyrule to get his hands on another magical object. The Princess Zelda, another major player, breaks that object into pieces in order to keep Ganon from getting his hands on it. And then the uh, the champion Link, your and that is the main player character, is tasked with putting them all together, this magical object, uh, finding those pieces, putting them all together, and defeating the Demon King. And that's that was that was essentially it. There was another character that was also named uh, Impa who comes back in nearly every game as she is Zelda's attendant. Sometimes she, in, in this game, in, in the very first game, she was an old woman. Later as the games evolve, especially after the 1998 Ocarina of Time, they play with her age. But the very first game, it establishes kind of like you have the darkness, you've got the princess, and you've got the knight. It's a very standard um almost european style knight's tale hero's quest but at the same time like it is a very standard tale then in the second game avengers of link they it's hard to say if they did a sequel a lot of people thought it was a sequel myself included when i was first playing them obviously i didn't play them when they when they just came out i was a little a little bit too young for that um but then later as growing up obviously you're you know, you play the cheaper games that you find in the bargain bins. And um, playing that one, I thought it was a direct sequel. Reading more about it, uh, I realized that it wasn't. But it could have been, like, again, they, the information that they give you, it's hard to establish who, what, when, and where. <laughs> and especially because they reused all the same names. They're still the Princess Zelda. You still play the champion, the, the knight. Link. He, Knight is not exactly the right word, although he definitely does have that, like, um, you know, the, the sword, the shield, he rescues the princess. Most, most times Link is just a kind of like, 
a random boy character that for whatever reason is destined to greatness and he's the one who is going to deliver Hyrule from the evil that is Ganon. And again, you have Ganon. In the second game, Adventures of Link, the one thing that they established extra is that all the princesses in Hyrule are named Zelda. In the background lore of the story, it's because the actual princess that you're trying um, to rescue had like is supposedly the first princess Zelda, and she was put to sleep by a spell cast by the bad guy. But then the king had declared, who was Zelda's brother actually, um, you know, prince, and then he was crowned king. Had like in his grief decided that here on after all princesses of the royal line shall be named Zelda to honor his like dearly departed, not quite dead but magically induced sleep coma sister, and so that establishes the idea that there are every single princess in the land is then named Zelda. That in which case there's this idea of not every game is necessarily the same individual characters, even though they share names. Um, and this popped up again in The Link to the Past. Here we have the same major players. You've got Princess Zelda, you've got Link, her champion, and then you've got uh, Ganon. And as much as the structures from a loose standpoint is very similar from the very first Legend of Zelda game that they did, it's a completely different story in that they kept adding to the legend and this one is where you actually start to see the idea of how these games might actually be linked anyway and i apologize for the background noise my house is noisy and i really miss mac studio anyway so they add to the legend um this time ganon was this uh thief who had broke it into the sacred realm where the triforce is hidden and turned it evil. There were seven sages who like were able to imprison him into this sacred realm. And then like generations passed or whatever and you know the tides ebb and flow. And now Ganon has been able to like wrestle power from this like evil darkness realm that he he's become king of. And he has managed to capture the descendants of these seven sages in order to slowly break in, break that barrier between him and the like mortal realm, like as we know it up above. And, and, and Princess Zelda knows this and she knows that she's in danger because she's like the last key to keeping him inside of this evil realm. And so she telepathically tells Link, who is this like random boy, not exactly that random, but seems as such because other than his uncle who ha who possesses a sword and a shield and a very quick one line about how they're descendants of this, you know, royal knightly kind of lineage, lives in a house in the middle of the woods nearby the castle, yes, but it seems like they're not necessarily, a f they're not military, they're not stationed inside the castle or anything like that. They were living a quiet piece of life. She asked the nephew of this of this guy who happens to possess a sword, a sword and shield. She asks for help and he goes to answer and, and, and meets that call. And then throughout the adventure, um, he, you know, rescues the sages, goes to these temples and then um, ultimately defeats Ganon. That right there was the basis for a lot of their legend and lore building that happened thereafter. The biggest 
a lot of people think of Ocarina of Time, which came out in 1998, as like the big like hub of where the legend of the Legend of Zelda really starts to go like cuckoo banana pants. This is the whole reason I'm doing this episode. <laughs> Ocarina of Time decided, what if we tell the background story that happens in Link to the Past? What what if we told the story of those first seven sages who lock this this thief away um, in the Dark Realm? And, um, and then Ocarina of Time does exactly that. You have your champion, Link, who is this... Yes, he's destined with this destiny or whatever, um, but he grows up in the forest. And in fact, in that game, many people call him a fairy boy because he grew up with literally four spirits. Um, and like, hard to say like what language he speaks. Obviously, there's only like one common language in the games for translation purposes. Um, but he dresses like them. He has a fairy with him. He a lot of people describe him as odd and definitely very quiet. Of course. Link rarely ever speaks in these games as a normal video game silent protagonist where the player is supposed to inject their own personality onto the hero to feel like they're more involved with the game itself. You see a lot of games use this with great effect, um, Legend of Zelda famously so. There's also games like, say, Final Fantasy VII where they reject the silent protagonist and they have a protagonist that's actually quite talkative. Um, Cloud, as much as he's mopey, definitely lets his opinions be heard. That's a discussion for another day. Anyway, so Ocarina of Time. It does essentially the same exact thing that they told you was going to happen in Link to a Past. You go around, you realize that there's a dude named Ganondorf this time. He he kind of morphs into Ganon later, but uh, he's trying to basically steal the keys to the kingdom and get the, all the sacred divine power objects, the, the Triforce, um, and then access to the, the, the sacred realm of which they live. And uh, Princess Zelda's like, let's beat him to the punch, etc. They don't. Link has to go around, find the seven sages um, who are like locked away in these temples. They don't even realize they're sages yet. So he has to go unlock the temple essentially by defeating the dungeon. And then they like mysteriously awaken and then they're like, oh, we have power now. And they go and they fight Ganondorf. Uh, he turns into Ganon during the course of the fight. And then the sages seal him away into the sacred realm. It's the exact same thing that Link to the Past told you was going to happen. But now it happens in 3D. <laughs> and uh, and then, so they introduce this one mechanic. In Ocarina of Time, you have a magical item because this game is about uh, item collection. Not necessarily inventory management, but just item collection. You you essentially have two or three different buttons on your controller that does things. One of them is for your sword, and one of them is for slots that you can do magical items. And then those items give you access to more, uh, you know, puzzle solving techniques. Bombs blow up walls or enemies. Uh, the boomerang can hit thing, or, uh, you know, from far away and then carry it back to you. Arrows can obviously kill things from very far away. Super useful, hit switches on walls, etc. Um, there is an object called uh, da -da -da -da, the Ocarina of Time, which allows you to time travel in very limited sense, but inside the canon, it's a time travel device. <laughs> and once they introduce that, um, this is where their legend goes very sci-fi, as more than fantasy in some aspects. 
Zelda, so slight spoilers, guys. Zelda sends Link back to his original time because during the course of his adventure of sealing Ganondorf away, he was aged up and like was sent to the future. And she felt bad that he missed living his own life because essentially they were like, a 10 year old boy can't defeat the King of Darkness. We need to get some years and some puberty on ya. And so she sends him back in time. The game they published after that, uh, Majora's Mask, suggested that it was the same Link. It, it is it is in canon. The same Link from Ocarina of Time. He's a child again, but with the memories of everything that he did as a quote-unquote adult Link. And he, you know, goes off and does his, essentially a metaphor about grief adventure and uh very good game very highly stressful uh with the whole you have a three-day counter to beat it not exactly you still have your very cool time travely powers so you know what's three days to a time traveler but after that coming outside of like the world of legend of zelda Nintendo started making games from various aspects of this broken timeline. And like interestingly so, this is an approach that is was really, really cool. They thought of what happened in the timeline where Link like was zapped out of the world, like the adult Link timeline. What happened to the rest of those people? Did that just fade out of existence? Because essentially Zelda zapped their hero out of that timeline and back into the child Link timeline, like the this, the quote unquote good timeline. Um, the adult Link timeline, they made this game called Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. And in that one, the champion was gone from time. The same events happened from Ocarina of Time. Link was able to, you know, with the help of the Seven Sages and Zelda, you know, banish Ganondorf into the Sacred Realm. As we see with Link to the Past, Ganondorf breaks out and there's no hero to defend the kingdom. Zelda already sent him away. He's gone, baby. He is not even in this timeline. And so uh, instead of allowing the, the whole world to fall into ruin, the gods, goddesses, decide, uh, we'll just flood the place instead. It's fine. No evil can happen if it's underwater. And so they flood the entire place and the whole game is basically like, oh, it's, it's island hopping. And it has some of the coolest boat mechanics I've ever played in a game. Like, seriously, one of the best pirate games I've ever played. And it's Legend of Zelda. Anyway, Wind Waker is great, but it establishes that like, the Ganondorf that comes up is the same Ganondorf that was originally locked away in Ocarina of Time. It's just, uh, you know, however many generations he needed to be able to gather enough power to be able to come back to the surface somewhat literally because the surface is now uh, a lot underwater. Anyway, so that they had that game. And then they also had, well, obviously they had Majora's Masters, which I've talked about before, and they did, then they did Twilight Princess. And there's some, I'm skipping some of the handheld games in there because like they kind of jump in and out and most of those are in the dark timeline, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and then they did Twilight Princess, uh, which was back in the child timeline where the world obviously isn't underwater and they make direct reference to this hero who like nobody knows about this 
you meet the shade of a hero of ages past who saved the world but did save the world in such a way that nobody even realized what he had done because he went back in his own past and then lived out the rest of his life as a person and that hero was the hero from Ocarina of Time. Um, and so this this shade, this this ghost, um, teaches the new Link, the new hero, you know, his old skills or whatever that he, that he learned from like this other timeline as he was like protecting the world. So that establishes that like, here's this split. You've got one where the world was flooded because the hero was gone. And then you have this other where like the hero saved this world but like was split from his own timeline and like was uh, eventually forgotten and then nintendo was like but what about all those old like what about our first game what about like link to a past old super nes game like how do those fit in and they were like oh i guess that was the world where link didn't win (laughs) and so you have this dark timeline where there is a link to the past where like Ganon was sealed but then like was met with no resistance and like takes over the sacred realm and and this kind of stuff and then um and this is where a lot of the handheld games at this time fits in oracle ages oracles of seasons link's awakening which is kind of like an existential crisis (laughs) video game it's a little bit removed link basically washes up on this island that's uh doesn't really exist anyway and this is where Legend of Zelda and the Adventure of Link also fits in. It's this idea that uh, Ganondorf kind of just wins. Um, the sages were able to lock him away, but like kind of without Link's help. There is no champion there to like make sure the deed was done, at least temporarily. It was just like they did the best they could with the resources they had because the champion um, failed. So there's that timeline. <laughs> But yeah, and then that's that is essentially the entirety of the legend. They they go back and they add some things later after this point, uh, after the Twilight Princess kind of point. Um, Skyward Sword being the biggest one where they decided to go back like as far into the history as I think they felt safe and possible in order for it to technically still be a legend of Zelda. Basically, it's possibly the first or the second iteration of the hero. The first iteration being this nameless defender of the goddess Hylia. And now Link is a reincarnation of that nameless champion. In this, in Skyward Sword, it cements something that was kind of hinted at, kind of from throwaway lines that were hard to kind of fit into the original timeline before they decided to try to make all the games fit. Skyward Sword definitively says that uh, Zelda is a reincarnation um, like of both the goddess Hylia and um, like each Zelda thereafter is basically the same soul Zelda. You gotta you, you gotta think that probably skips a couple generations. Kind of weird having the same soul like mother to daughter. So it's probably more like great great grandmother you know, to to great-granddaughter and then, like, skips a couple and, you know, kind of hops down that way. I don't know. I didn't... I didn't major in soul reincarnation studies. Anyway. But, yeah, the Skyward Sword doesn't necessarily add much to the legend. It does add a little bit to uh, 
like iconography like they added the birds because there were giant birds and stuff and then it explains why there's like a whole kingdom in the sky that you see in twilight princess you the last dungeons and literally the sky and so it explains where that kingdom come from, came from because of reasons and stuff um really the only thing that they really super added in that one is the idea of demise which is the um again another reincarnation of this like great demonic figure who hates Hylia for funsies or for reasons basically you can read it as a highly got in his way and he just is super petty and he declares revenge or it could be a god versus god their their grudge is divine and doesn't necessarily allow for explanation anyway demise is a thing that ganondorf is definitely like the reincarnation of or a, a vessel for maybe like ganondorf is the avatar of demise or demise just like this was a dude that was super easy to manipulate and now I'm possessing his body, uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, you know, it's kind of hard when you're retconning things to make all the pieces fit in perfectly. But yeah, and then, so there's several games, a lot of the handheld games that fit in relatively well that do kind of the same thing that Skyward Sword does. They have the Minish Cap, which explains the green hat. And then like four swords, which kind of explains why some of the villains kind of keep reappearing. Then there, and I won't even, I was really considering this. Uh, I think I'm already about like at the 20 or so minute mark, but uh, there's a video that explains how the latest Zelda game, the latest Legend of Zelda game, Breath of the Wild, fits into this timeline because it kind of doesn't, which is fine. I'm fine with that. But Polygon did a video and uh, it was uh, one of their video producers, Brian David Gilbert, who actually put it all together in a way that I'm going to very loosely say makes sense. It's great. The video is fantastic and it kind of does make sense, but only after you've gotten very like Pepe Silva crazy <laughs> conspiracy theory a little bit. Anyway, uh, I do recommend you guys check that out because it's a very good video and, and definitely gets very more into the lore <laughs> uh, it's uh anyway it's wild um but yeah so that's the actual mythos of the legend of zelda but looking at the game series like from you know taking a step back and looking at how they started with this like let's make a video game silent protagonist he didn't have to talk i don't know give him a sword and i guess he kills enemies and sometimes he goes in caves which turn into dungeons and then he collects stuff from those dungeons and then oh look there's a princess and there's a bad guy and he defeats the bad guy and saves the princess simple structure and then they were like holy shit we made a lot of money off of this we should do a second one and then they get to the second one and they're like we should escalate you know add a little more not necessarily more danger because they never really make it like now he has to defeat a galaxy of bad guys um but they add more into the lore into the legend um they kind of really tried to establish on th their own name um it's supposed to be the legend of zelda so they try to make it deeper like they make the 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 lore richer adding more details and just more stuff to it essentially uh they add more of a divinity aspect to it with having it being like this divine quest that link goes on as opposed to just like you gotta save the kingdom 
it is like this is a divine calling uh you you must do this uh yeah it's just uh legend of Zelda has always been it's it's been my favorite game actually ocarina of time is flat out my favorite game yes for nostalgia reasons um but also because it that was the one that kind of opened up the um oh wow like <laughs> this one moment of a princess deciding I feel bad for you and then she breaks the timeline and the whole world goes kind of like everything goes nuts from that there on out both from the inside the game sort of idea and then from outside when you have a character who does that you're like well now I guess I can make games forever now because I can just hop back and forth from any timeline I want to make a game do you want something dark and gritty what are you jump on over to the dark timeline or the adult link timeline where the world is flooded um and then just have cool boat battles for the rest of your game um or you want something more of the the side of um the legend of it itself you can stick with the child timeline where there was a champion who actually managed to do what he was supposed to do uh, supposed to is a broad word because there's also a lot in in this of um as they get further into the games they have their an own their own honest discussion with what this does to the hero having to go on this divine quest um you see it a lot in Majora's Mask you see a little bit in Twilight Princess you even see a little bit of it in Skyward Sword even though Link as he is is so fresh and so young um having the skyward sword link there at all is is a nice reminder of like how like used and gritty and tired link gets in the later timeline quote unquote games nintendo's done a pretty decent job for what is essentially a family a series of family games making an honest discussion of if if there if there was divinity and there were people chosen by the gods to perform sacred acts I mean, not rituals but like take up the sword and kill this demon like and if they kept reusing those souls like what what what, it, what would it do to a person um and you really do get like Majora's Mask where Link is tired <laughs> Link is just done <laughs> he doesn't want to do he is grieving he <laughs> there's lots of there's lots of badness in that game um I mean there's lots of tender lighthearted moments too but there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of Link just being tired and not really wanting to do this anymore, but also knowing that he has to. And it's really interesting to to engage with the media that way. Like it's, yeah, you can just play the game and then beat it and just be done with it. But they, they added in more. They added in a lot more that you can go and really, you know, read the game like it was a book. And, and like, you know, you don't have to necessarily study it like I have, but uh, it's anyway. Yeah, Legend of Zelda. This ended up being kind of an advertisement for Nintendo, but whatever. I don't care. It's a good game, and we should look at it, and we should we should um, you know look at the stuff that the content critically, and because in this case the content's actually kind of good. It doesn't make sense in some areas. I get that, and that's totally fine because I don't think they were expecting it to make sense. And that is a thing that we can study as well. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Also, LOL, I forgot to do the commercial break. So here's the commercial break at the very end. 
I want to thank uh, all of our listeners for sticking with us in this time. It's been difficult for a lot of us. I mean, for us, but for a lot of you especially. And uh, I just, I really want to say thanks and to hang in there and stay safe. And, you know, that whole together apart, whatever mantra stuff. But, you know, like, well, we got the internet. We got podcasts. Keep sending in your your likes and suggestions and yeah we'll we'll try to keep being there to to meet you so um thank you so much for staying with us and um i hope you stay safe i want to thank uh i want to thank mac um for being our producer uh as much as we've done we haven't been able to talk and really do like business meetings anymore we've you know we've kind of hooked up on the internet but um a couple of times but like it's uh you know, it's a little different, but like, thank you for, for dealing with us. Thank you for, for being there and for helping, um, you know, run things virtually as much as you can. Um, it's been a really great help to us and I really appreciate you a lot. Uh, and then thanks to our sponsor, we've got Packing Photography, who's been with us from the start. Um, you've heard me talk about them before. Pictures are kind of hard right now, but uh, if you if you could, you know, at the very least, you know, send send a like over on their Facebook page. That'd be great. And then also like to thank Party Now Apocalypse Later for 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 hosting us, for doing our stuff, for letting us run with other podcasts. Um, if you don't like this one, they've they we've got others on that network. The holodeck is broken and. And, uh, and then we've also got the fourth wall, which is actually, it's a, that's a radio play. It's done in its entirety. You've heard me talk about that before, but hey, if you got a story you guys want to listen to, it is done and it is there. So thank you so much for hosting us. And that's, that's, you, you guys are super great. And thank you for letting us be creative with you because yeah, that's, it's amazing. <laughs> Sometimes we'll have a dumb idea and they'll tell us, well, I don't think we'll turn into a show, but we can turn into a short story. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, thank you guys so much. Um, and again, thank you to our listeners. And uh, I don't really have a fact of the day. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, 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 and subscribe to As the Myth Turns on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and email us at asthemythturns at gmail.com transcripts for this episode can be found at our WordPress site as themythturns.wordpress.com. Our theme song is called Fretless by Kevin McLeod. You can find this song and all his others at incompetech.com.